All in. How are you doing today? I'm good, Harry. How are you? I'm doing well. I was at a little VC party last night in Los Angeles, and uh, I floated the name Wannabe Angels to a lot of people. And I have to say, the feedback was great, was amazing. Uh, So that may be the best thing we have going for this podcast is the name. Hopefully the content can live up to the name, though. Are you sure it wasn't the cocktail speaking? I was pretty drunk, I'm not going to lie. But uh, I'm looking good now. I uh, got my coffee and got a little food in me, and I'm ready to chat with Andrew. All right. Andrew, welcome. Yeah, great to be here. I think the name's great, but I also think you both have some pretty good voices, kind of like uh, <laughs> classic radio voices. I'm not going to say you have a face for podcasts because that's always <laughs> a bad compliment, but uh, I, I think the voices work well too. Okay, so basically uh-huh. Andrew's already insulting us to start this podcast. I like where this <laughs> is going. I think we're going to have a good, honest conversation. We're really going to let it rip. So uh, let's talk about Andrew. Uh, who, who is he calling? Yeah. Oh, Andrew um, needs no introduction, but I'll do it anyway. Um, Andrew Aruda, I say that right, hopefully, um, yep. is a you know serial entrepreneur and very active angel investor. If you follow him on Twitter, you're going to feel bad about how many investments you're doing. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> he's also the CEO, co-founder of uh, Flexpa. Um, he speaks uh, internationally on the subjects of startups, innovation, and entrepreneurship, and has been featured in way more publications than I have ever been. Maybe Harry's up there, but definitely me. New York Times, BBC, Wired, CNBC, Bloomberg, uh, pretty much you name it, uh, he's done it. Um, and he's also a former uh, TED speaker uh, and member of the highly coveted Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2017. That was like, you know, a few years ago, though, right? So we, we, yeah, you're, showing, you're showing your age there. I don't um, feel so bad uh, now. I mean, he's a young yeah. guy. He's got a lot more energy than us. We've got two kids. <laughs> or how many kids are you up to now, Colin? Right. So we're I've like dads and you've got three. Yeah. Okay. That's even worse. So you know, you've got three. I've got two. We're like uh, old men now. <laughs> Um, but uh, awesome, Andrew, I'm really excited to chat with you. Yeah, I think we uh, sort of started following you on Twitter and loved uh, all the info you were sharing and kind of just the excitement around your investments. And so that was really why I wanted to get you on. So just to sort of give the audience uh, a sense of, you know, your sort of angel investing history and what you're up to. I've got three quick uh, fire questions for you if you're ready. Yeah, give me. So how many angel investments have you made this year or do you plan to make? Yeah, I made five this year so far and I'm looking to make probably... 15 um this year it might bleed into total. closer to 20 but yeah total okay cool and about how many uh in your lifetime as an angel and when did you start i started about a year and a half ago two years ago and i've made 29 investments oh, wow. so far yeah very wow. cool what's your average check size uh average is probably around 10k um i've written up to 50 and but my usual like my mean amount mm-hmm. is usually 5k smaller bets and then i can double down as i go okay cool and what type of startups do you look for and what stage yeah i definitely i'm stage specific but i've started to cast a larger net now in terms of the areas of focus um as my thesis and thinking has changed so um pre-seed and seed i think that's makes the most sense where i could add the most value as an angel and kind of mm-hmm. it just makes makes sense to get in there and then um, I usually invest in areas that I've built in before, or I just really want to get smart at or um, have been you know, involved with in the past. So that's health. I'm currently a health tech founder. That's legal. My last company was a legal tech company. I'm a trained lawyer. Um, and then also areas like regulatory, which is adjacent to legal. Um, space tech is some, a big interest of mine. Mm-hmm. I've just been a space nerd growing up. And so that's cool. been fun. And then sales and marketing tech. Um, 
most of the time as a founder, I'm, you, you know, doing a lot of sales and marketing. So that's an area that I just know enough about to be dangerous in. Very cool. I like that term, you know, enough to be dangerous. I think that's sort of how we feel about angel investing generally, Colin and I. It's like, we're no experts, but we definitely know enough to be dangerous. I just, uh, totally off topic. I just met the founders of payloadspace.com. They've got a cool B2B uh, newsletter. Have you ever read it? Oh, I haven't checked that out. I'm going to cool. have to check Ari, that out. Uh, yeah, Ari, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes and send it to you. But uh, I met them last night and he's actually interviewed me on his podcast, an old podcast he had a long time ago. So it was cool to see what he's up to. Um, so I really think that like this concept of angel investing and being an operator and being a founder is something that is fascinating to me. And I'm curious, like, how do you think about it from your perspective as a founder? Like, what is the reason why you angel invest? And does it have any Anything to do with your day job at Flexpo? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I would say it actually has a lot to do with it. Uh, so uh, here's the thinking on it. I have this concept in my mind where um, to really get um, into a subject, you can. It's better to see it in three dimensions. And when I mean three dimensions, I mean looking at it from three different angles. So yeah. as a founder, as a builder, I'm building a startup, and that's an that's a look at startups from the trenches. You're doing it yourselves. You're leading it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm doing angel investing that I put on my angel investing hat and I'm looking at startup in a totally different lens. Um, it takes me away from the thinking of being a founder. And then I also do some, I, I don't do it anymore. That's how I got into angel investing and we can chat about that, but I used mm-hmm. to do some advising and mentoring as well. Um, and that's a different angle as well. Um, where you're not, you're, you didn't necessarily put up the, the, the capital, but you put up your time. Um, and that's another lens. So, um, the thinking behind and how I got involved here was really me thinking about, you know, how can I learn more and speed up my learning, particularly in health? I mm. was a trained lawyer and my first company was a legal company. And then I started a health tech company. My wife's a doctor and I got into cool. the space. Um, but I started making some angel investments in, um, in, in, in companies building in areas that I wanted to learn more about. And then um, got, got kind of a, 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 the handle on that and just kept going. And quickly, what just uh, what's the TLDR on Flexpa? Yeah, so Flexpa, the TLDR of TLDRs is kind of we're building <laughs> Plaid, uh, but for claims data, meaning now cool. you can actually ping your health insurance company and sync the data that they have on you um, into any application you want. So think about in the future, um, going to see a doctor and never filling out a form again. Think about showing up and going to, for a telehealth visit with a doctor you've never met and they know what medications you're on. Um, know what insurance you have. So we're, we're making that process super easy. Very you cool. Just, very cool. N- no forms ever again at the doctor. That sounds like <laughs> too good to be true. So um, <laughs> I'd love to see it though. Uh, you know, following up on what you were saying there, um, you know, how do you balance your time, you know, with running a company and spending time on angel investing? Because I know that as I've gone down the rabbit hole, it, it's like a rabbit hole and you just keep going and there's always another deal and always something cool to look at. So h- how do you, how do you balance that? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So actually like the old way of thinking about a founder who angel invests is it can be negative. I think so in the past, you know, VCs have thought to themselves, mm-hmm. like if you're, mm-hmm. if you've invested in someone and they're angel investing, is that taking away their time from building the core business? Um, I think that that's evolved, especially as angel investing itself has become something that um, there's systems around and people understand. I think for me as a founder, what I think and how I balance my time is I was already um, making myself available to other founders who would ping me 
with questions. So um, I've been at this for just about a decade in terms of being a builder. First company was founded in 2014. And so people would hit me up all the time and be like, hey, Andrew, um, what do you think? Is Carta worth it for you know uh, managing my cap table? Or, hey, Andrew, do you know a VC who uh, invests in consumer for X, Y, or Z? And so I was already doing a lot of the questions and fielding those questions. So angel investing's actually helped me focus my time. And now I actually will say no to you know phone calls or hanging out with certain people unless I've actually mm-hmm. invested in them. And it's actually been something that has helped me focus my time. And I would say angel investing is my mm-hmm. hobby. I don't I don't play like pickleball or anything like that. I know people love playing <laughs> pickleball these days. Uh, I'm not a rock climbing founder. There's a lot of tech founders who love rock climbing. Um, I guess, uh, you know, I, I, my, my hobby is angel investing. And I think I am obsessed with startups. I think like um, I'm obsessed with it, both in an academic way and lens. I went through YC in 2015 and I think, um, you know, got the PG bug, just thinking through startups in a very like academic, like, um, you know, repeatable, what are the signals that you can start to see with success? Um, but I also am entrepreneurial and have wanted to build startups since I was a kid. So it gets to marry kind of both sides of my brain. Yeah. About if you had to put a, a number time-wise, like how much time are you spending on Flexa per week and how much time are you spending on uh, angel investing? And maybe there's some, you know, kind of synergies where like some of these companies you're meeting with, you can kind of justify, oh, I don't know, like half, I don't know, however you think about it um, on a time basis, just to give people a sense of things. Yeah. So I work like probably 12 or 14 hours a day, which, mm-hmm. you know, we could talk about work-life balance some other time. <laughs> uh, and I would say um, I probably spend of that maybe an hour, hour and a half um, mm-hmm. every couple, every, every other day. So maybe 30 minutes a day yeah. weekly would be uh, angel investing um, related things. So that okay. like most of the time it's just a text, like, Hey, I, yeah. I don't source. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I only deal inbound. So that's another mm-hmm. unique thing by being a founder. Um, it allows you to have really great deal flow from other founders, um, which does take out a lot of some of that time. So most of my investments, I've never outbounded invested in a company as of yet. Um, mm. I've certainly made made and myself And by outbound, do you mean you've reached out to someone and asked cold. them to invest, or or like or cold outbound? Like or... I, I haven't. Yeah, that's what I mean. I have outbounded in the sense of like, yeah. hey, you know, like Samantha, I think you're really cool. I love your yeah. company. I heard from so and so that you, you know, you might be raising. I've done that, but I haven't had to do much of like uh, the cold start problem. And in some ways, it's made my life easier and it's dro- driven a lot of efficiency. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of other investors about this. And um, some of the investors were like, man, I wish I did more investing when I was a founder because my deal flow was much better because once you officially go full into either like vc or angel full time um sometimes the the deal flow can look different because the uh, the lens from the fellow founders is different whereas they see me as like hey like it's great to have a fellow founder i'm going to ask andrew a question they don't always see me as um hey here's another investor and usually they'll make space for another founder too which has been really cool yeah Yeah, no i've experienced that a lot as well um Mostly because I do like advising consulting of startups all day, every day. And so they see you as a, a friendly face and then they want your feedback and want you to be there to be helpful and then want you to talk to their other friend who's doing this. And I also find it just helps to get earlier, right? Like that's, you know, I was like, I, I was asked uh, two days ago, like, where, where are you getting your deal flow? And I was like, well, it's other founders recommending to me to new founders that have just started. And it's a bit of a long game, right? It's not just like, you know, day one, you know, you're investing in someone that's ready at pre-seed and seed. It's like some people are just at the idea phase. And so um, I I resonate 100% with what you're saying on um, 
being helpful and being out there and being doing all the time is really like how you get that really nice, uh, just organic deal flow. Yeah. I'll build on that. And like for listeners, cause sometimes it's like, okay, well, if, if you're listening to this and you're not a founder, it's like, well, okay, well, what I'm not going to find, I'm not going to become a founder so I can Im- improve my deal flow. You don't um, recommend that. Way, yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Terrible economics think there, so. but yeah, I don't think, I don't think you should do that. Um, but what I would say is um, how I got involved in this is uh, people had asked me to be an advisor or a mentor. And then I got some advisory shares in companies and some of those ended up going really well. And then those founders helped introduce me to other founders. And then eventually I was like, look, mm. um, I don't have the time to advise. I'd rather just, you know, deploy. And if you have questions, here's my here's my number like text me ad hoc or I'll voice note you back or we'll, we'll ad yeah. hoc it. So most of my advice is like in the moment. What, uh, what do you think about the differences between advising and investing? This is something that I know I've sort of struggled with personally. You know, I've been, uh, you know, come on as an advisor for probably over, you know, a bunch of companies over the past nine, 10 years. And it's like, oh, sweet, I'm getting options or I'm getting stock in this company. They're paying me, you know, in a way to help. And when you start investing, it's like sort of weird. You're like doing the same amount of work, sometimes more, sometimes less, but now you're paying them. So like, how do you think about the two and balancing those um, and, you know, uh, advising versus investing really? Yeah, so I uh, this could be a spicy take uh, that I throw out there. I think like as soon as I had enough financial independence to uh, invest rather than advise and mentor, I switched to just uh, investing. So mm-hmm. um, that was pretty recent too because I've only been at this uh, for a short amount of time. But I've been mentoring or advising probably for nine years since I started as a founder. I, I was helping out other founders, and so. Um, why I bring that up is to directly answer your question. I, I thought to myself, yes, I'm advising, but some of the things that happen is sometimes you'll take advisory um, mm-hmm. roles in companies that you might not have as much conviction in, or at least yeah. I did. Cause in my mind, I was like, well, they're going to give me these shares and sure. I'll have to take a right. call once in a while, but like you, I kind of viewed it as a lottery ticket in my head where I was like, if it turns out, it turns out and I'm going to be helpful and I'll learn. But I believe that was the right path early innings for me. And I learned a lot that way. But then once I had the financial ability to invest and the knowledge from some of those free reps I got in some yeah. ways as an advisor or mentor, um, I then switched gears on it. I still right now um, mentor and advise like maybe two or three startups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those were a bit more legacy or uh, those ones were like there was uh, maybe it wasn't in, a, uh, in my thesis. And um, I really love the founders and I may angel invest in mm-hmm. those two. And that's kind of the goal. But yeah, I think you can get into a trap on the advisory and mentor, uh, mentoring yeah. where if you, you keep saying yes to that, you get yeah. bogged down and <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge time waster, even though you think you're, oh, I'm just getting these free shares and I just have to help out a bit. You're right. Sure. You end up doing the same amount of work. Yeah. And I guess just to be clear, when you say advising, do you mean sort of coming on as an official advisor for equity, getting options and or shares? And what about mentoring? What do you specifically mean there? Is that just like you're, yeah. you're a friend? <laughs> Yeah, well, mentoring, yeah um, no, mentoring um, generally will be like either it started no equity. A lot mm-hmm. of that's no equity. It's like a young yeah. founder. Maybe they haven't started their, their startup yet. Got it. Um, uh, maybe they're from a group where, you know, they're, there's, they're at a disadvantage or they're mm-hmm. underrepresented. Um, I'll take, I'll take m- more of my time in that. I will still go out of my way and, and get reps in there. But now yeah. what I'm doing, because the quality of my deal flow and the amount has gone up. I can mentor really great quality folks who I also want to angel invest in. Whereas um, the, it, it wasn't that way early on where I was just like trying to get my reps in and learn as I go. 
Yeah. Do you think there's less accountability as an investor? I remember one time this angel I was talking to, he said, you know, I kind of like investing because I can just like give them money and, you know, then leave them to do their thing. If I want to pop back in, I can. And there's less pressure to like always help and always be there and, you know, work hard for them. And it was kind of, I don't know, maybe a different than the traditional, you know, investor. Like I want to be super helpful and value add. But how do you think about that in the context of investing versus advising? Yeah, I would agree with that. Like as an, a founder myself, um, well, I guess, I hold, would you agree? And is that a good thing or bad thing? Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And as a founder myself, I think I do expect more if I give someone advisory yeah. shares rather than a pure investor. Um, is that a good thing? Um, probably not, but I think it, it it's all about incentive. Um, yeah. There is a world where I do think, actually, I think the uh, founders sometimes um, over, over, um, uh, overemphasize the need for investors to do a bunch and be as helpful on certain things. Like, um, being a founder and an investor, I now am the founder at tables with other founders and hearing gripes, oh, this investor didn't help me with this or this investor didn't help me with that. And oftentimes I'll tell them it's not their job to figure that stuff out. Like if you really like, I think an angel has more responsibility than a VC um, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, like uh, uh, helping out on more of a day to day. And that, that's just the way I think about it. You're, you know, you're cutting off some of the pie, you're getting someone in early, they're getting better terms. The expectation is that you're going to help out. And most of the time getting in on the deal, there should be a reason why um, uh, outside of just capital on that. But a lot of the time, I think like as an advisor, you're being brought in because that founder is saying, I want your advice. And I, this is, I'm I, like, I'm going to be giving you part of my company, but I'm going to, that comes with more work in my mind. And I think that's fine. Um, but yeah, I just think the way even um, sometimes founders um, the expectations of angels and VCs, I think, is interesting because they just haven't done it themselves. Um, so they just think, hey, like if you invested, you have your you should be giving me all this time. And so I'm pretty um, upfront about expectations like, hey, I'm going to be helpful with this, this and that. So what I say is, you know, with sales and marketing, I'm particularly helpful introductions to venture capitalists. I've raised multiple yeah. rounds. I've connected a lot of founders to folks who then led their rounds like great funds. Um, and I'm also available day to day for quick hit me up on a text, yeah. standing meetings, multiple meetings a month, et cetera. I don't do because a lot of that um, can just lead to time waste for me, but also time waste for them. I think text message is like the new way to go. I'm, yeah. I'm calling it 2023 and on is just back to text message because <laughs> that's where it needs to be. My email is like terrible. So um so I, I love to ask people about kind of like going back to their roots, like the first investment, like what, tell us about your first investment. Like you, you probably got some deal and then you were like, I'm going to invest. What, like just walk us through what happened there. Yeah. So what happened there was um, I'm Canadian and I live in San Francisco. So one of the bits of my deal flow and just like the, I, I meet a lot of founders who are Canadian looking to come and meet folks in the U.S. investment ecosystem, whether they're New York, Boston, Miami, Austin, Midwest, anywhere. They're like, hey, you're, you're, in, you're, in, you're in the country. You've been there for 10 years. Can you help make some introductions? So there was a founder who uh, was great, and she was uh, in Canada raising early stage um, uh, money is really tough. Um, they still are pretty old school. They, you know, sometimes they're asking for like 40 page prospectuses on your business at like the pre-seed <laughs> stage. So it's nuts. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Um, and so she hit me up and I said, yeah, it was a great company. It was doing great. Um, pr- uh, and I introduced her to, um, uh, one of my favorite investors who led our, uh, pre-seed at Flexpa. It's, uh, the Altman brothers. So Sam, Jack and Max, uh, they had a fund called Apollo and, um, 
they ended up leading that, uh, that seed round. And so she said to me, hey, thanks for making that introduction. Would you want to jump in too? And I had never done that yet. Um, hmm. But in my mind, I was like, wait a minute, like if these investors who I respect so much have saw uh, and yeah. they're jumping in, then I said to myself, like, people would probably die for this deal flow. I should probably jump <laughs> in. And um, that's what that's when I You're realized like, oh, I, shit, this might be a good deal that I just set up for her. huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah, made yeah. the deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then I was like, oh, like um, it also gave me um, confidence that I knew what to look for, because when she asked me, um, a lot of people ask me to make introductions. And I do think to myself, like, I don't want to burn a bunch of people and their network by just pouring on a bunch of introductions when the quality of that, that, that startup or that founder is something that um, I wouldn't invest in. And so now in that moment, I said, I would invest in this. So I'm going to introduce it to someone. And then I was like, well, why don't I, uh, I invest? Um, and I, you know, had the financial uh, capability to do it. And so I was like, yeah, I should do this. Um, and so um, I actually went on a pretty solid streak of, um, intro and my first uh, kind of thesis or style, which is not much of a thesis, was I would intro um, early stage companies to great uh, found uh, great VC funds, and if someone I introduced themselves them to led, I would jump in with a check. But then eventually, I had so much conviction that I started investing before the introductions or earlier than when they would head out and uh, and and meet people. And so I went earlier on and I, I guess I just developed more belief in myself rather than seeking the external validation, um, which was important. But that external validation did certainly jumpstart me and get me in. Yeah. What do you recommend for new angel investors if they're considering their first investment? Do you, do you like this approach? Would you sort of do it again, kind of do it differently? You know, it sort of sounds like kind of piggybacking into a big, you know, VC fund or, you know, somewhere there was some sort of outside validation since maybe like you said, you weren't an expert yet. You didn't have a ton of conviction yet. Yeah. I love this. I think I would recommend wherever you're investing out of, um, you know, go and find and talk to the VCs and say, Hey, I'm an angel. Um, I'm looking to get involved in angel investing. I would love to mm -hmm. send you deals that I see. Um, would you be open to me sending you that? And then we can swap notes and, and have a conversation as to what you're seeing. Now, that is with a caveat that you shouldn't then just develop and take that VC or those folks, those other investors thinking as your own. But it certainly will help you get an idea for what they're thinking. And it's low risk in the sense that you can learn and you're feeding deals around. Um, I think that did help. And I think most of the time, it's a it's a really great cold start problem too. Cause then what ended up happening is VCs started hitting me up and saying, Hey, this founder is looking for an operator angel mm. with experience like that you have. So I've made a few investments from VCs that I originally had been sharing these deals with. And then they started sharing with me. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's a great, uh, and it doesn't matter where you are. I mean, um, you know, uh, I, I think there's always a few investors who are active in, in your, in where you're, you're operating out of. And it's a, a great way. And, for the most part, they're happy because they're like, great. In essence, they're getting kind of a scout or yeah. another analyst that's out there looking at deals. And um, the only caveat, like I said, is don't become um, a photocopy of that investor because no investor has it all figured out or else, um, you know, uh, that this, yeah. this would look entirely different. Yeah. And so I would say in, I had an N of maybe 20 or 25 investors because I was a founder that I had already been hitting up to raise for myself. And then I used those uh, leads as uh, people to bounce ideas off of. Got yeah. it. I, I like that. I got two questions for you. One, um, I like this like whole line of thinking around don't just inherit whatever the last thinking on a deal was because that you know it's just inherently dangerous, right? Like, and we all know that contrarian <laughs> opinions can lead to outsized returns. And so I uh 
I have a friend that I ran into at the coffee shop uh, yesterday and we walked home together. Uh, but I, I call him my foil and he was like apologizing to me because he was like, I don't invest in your deals and I don't, you know, I don't, they don't seem that like they're not at my alley. And so he was like apologizing. And I was like, no, man, don't, don't apologize. Like, this is great. Like, because you're questioning everything I think on it. And then I really have to have some more conviction. Do you, do you have any uh, foils in your life uh, that you like, have a great relationship with? Yeah, I would say actually all of the early folks originally <laughs> were very foily because, uh, you know, I'm just setting them deals and um, kind of cold starting a dig, like kind of shameless and being like, what do you think? And, yeah. you know, I'd be like, hey, you know, I'd be like, Harry, Colin, like, what do you all think? And you're like, <laughs> I met this person once. And he's this is the second deal he sent me in a week. Like, yeah. I don't think I know him as well as he thinks I do. Um, so they were mm. originally kind of tough. Um, and, but that toughness, I think, was really great. Um, it, as for a specific foil, um, yeah, there's certain like VCs that uh, I'll, I'll ping and I'll be like, what do you think on this? Um, and um, in some ways, it also their thinking is what I don't I disagree with. And so some of my thesis develops like in, in as like an antithesis to some of their thinking. And um, but that's not a bad thing. I think the real win here is having insight um, or conviction or what your secret knowledge is of, of that founder and what that founder's secret knowledge is. Um, I think that's big. And I just think uh, you get those early reps uh, by learning from other people, but I forget who it was. He said, I played a lot of years until I learned how to play like myself. Um, and I feel like I've hit that stride over the last little while. And so now I have the conviction and it's happened multiple times where I'm like, I'm in. Um, and then maybe three, four months later, I get hit up by that founder and they're like, hey, this awesome um, person is leading this round or this household name is doing that. And um, it's been a good feeling, but sometimes that doesn't happen. And I have some founders who I try to introduce and it doesn't work out and they're eking away and they're doing great as well. And I, I, it doesn't shake my conviction, whether someone else jumps in that I really love and respect, or I don't like, et cetera, kind of play my own game now. Uh, but I learn from others and kind of the process to get there. So on that note, I try to ask this question of everyone uh, because we're talking, you're talking about winners, but you're also kind of alluding to maybe there's some that aren't, aren't getting the love. Um, losers. What, what is uh, <laughs> not yet. Right. That, so, but maybe these are the losers is, so what, what's the fastest a deal has gone bad on you that you've invested in? Uh, I don't, I, I hope this doesn't uh, jinx me uh, so far. No bad, like nothing. Hey. bad yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not just saying it. I'd be totally honest. I'm open to sharing that. I think, the biggest problems that I'm having is obviously in this uh, market reality, startups that sell to startups, there's been some tightening up, et cetera. But I've also been at this for what, two, three years at max. So I think I need some more years and some more dog years on me to uh, to get that. But so far, so good um, on that. Um, but there has been like, you know, companies going into tough times, et cetera. But I actually would say another spicy, um, maybe contrarian view for me is sometimes investors get really worried when um, stuff starts looking really bad and, and shit hits the fan. But sometimes that's where you see a startup do some pretty cool stuff and it turns out to be sometimes a big win. So um, what I would say is um, it ain't over till it's over. And I think sometimes the ones that look like they're struggling a lot, may, might it actually is a force, like a forcing mechanism to maybe them getting um, things right and actually emerging um, into something that you might not have expected. And that could be a, even a bigger return for you yeah it's probably hard to tell the t difference between uh struggling and growth at the same time especially when it's uh in tough times 
Yeah, yes. I feel yeah. like uh, I, I think I'm glad we have Andrew on because I've definitely had a few companies that have uh, gone to zero. So I think uh, this is why, Andrew, you are the guest and we're uh, learning from you and uh, we appreciate <laughs> you uh, coming on and sharing your knowledge. Hopefully we didn't jinx you, though, just FYI. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I would <laughs> check I would your text messages. No, I think uh, I think it's just uh, I'm still young in the game. I think uh, yeah. I'm still t- I'm still learning a lot. And I think realistically, this is I'm really going to know that my viewpoint is that I know how a certain I think of each year as a class. And I think mm-hmm. of that class really me knowing what happens 10 years down. So, you know, I'll know what happened to last year's class in um, 2032, um, really, uh, at the end of the day. And um, that's kind of one of the things that I had to really think about with angel investing. Two things that I think I that changed the game for me is I, I've, uh, I believe that all my returns will come from two or three of my bets. Um, and that's kind of the way I think this through. And the other thing I think this through is every time I invest, um, I think of it as I'm going to find out in 10 years. And I do invest with the idea that like, you know, um, you're going to get most of your returns off of two or three of your bets. Very cool. Well, uh, I think I've got uh, quite a few more questions I could ask you, Andrew, but we don't want to keep you for too long. So Colin, if you're okay with it, I think we're going to move on to our final segment, uh, trending Twitter threads, which uh, most of our guests seem to like. How does that sound? Unless you have a burning question for Andrew that we didn't get to, Colin. I think we can move to the hot takes. That's, All right. Uh, hot takes. My you found uh, this week's hot takes on Twitter. And so I'm going to let you uh, run with it and uh, read the first one off to Andrew. And uh, let's get his opinion. Yeah. So this uh, tweet is from Alita Taub um, from uh, Ghana's Ventures. Uh, she always does a great job um, putting up founder questions. Uh, so this is the pensive emoji face uh, asking for a founder how can a startup persuade tier one VC to invest in them at pre-seed so that the angel investors can then invest once tier one are on the cap table? Um, this is like just perfect tee up from what you were talking about with some of your deals. Um, but, you know, what's your take here? I mean, this is like a classic conviction or follow on problem. Yeah, I think that when an investor, I like I tell founders, off the hop, whether I, you should, you should be able as an angel investor to decide whether a tier one or tier two and who, what even means tier one and tier two. Like, I, I was literally just tier. thinking, I'm like, what's a tier one VC at pre-seed? This is like, yeah. like, what even is that? I don't do they even, know. They, do they even invest at pre-seed really <laughs> yeah, for the yeah, most part? Yeah. 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 So I would say this is the problem too, that I think most founders get into where they believe the rejection or the no uh, in a different way. So most investors, and this is something I try not, I try to not do. I try to provide actual honest feedback as to why I'm saying no to people, which sounds like it's, that's the way it should be, but most don't. Um, So they probably hear, Hey, this, it's a bit too early for us. Let us know when, you know, if, if you get a lead in, in the round and I'll jump in, but that's basically a dressed up no. And I would encourage, that founder to not take the money of an investor. I mean, if you have to take the money in capital's capital, I've been there as a founder too. But if you are choosing and being selective, I wouldn't want that investor in because they don't really, they, they don't have conviction in your company. That, that angel is not investing in your company. That angel is investing in the brand of the VC fund that just invested in you. So um, I would rethink that. And actually, as a founder, what I like to say is I, I say, hey, I'm raising X amount from angels or operators right now. And I need to hear by X date. And then I'm going to talk to the VCs. And after the VCs fill it up, I'm not going back. And I mean, I might go back a little bit to shore things up, 
but I like to actually tell people and get conviction. And with Flexpa, we've had great funds jump in and, and be involved in our funding, like um, General Catalyst led our seed round and uh, uh, Great Crop was in there, A16Z was in there and some great people. But I actually, when I talked to investors, I didn't even tell them sometimes. I would say like, they're like, oh, do you have any term sheets? I'd be like, yeah, or uh, did you already get investors? I'd say, yeah. So yeah, that's my hot take there is I wouldn't take that money. And I think that's a dangerous way to, to, to live. Um, and I would ask like, what w without that first investing, why aren't you investing? And trying to get to that reason would probably be um, a better use of time. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, I think mechanically yeah. too, right? Like at, at the pre-seed stage, obviously the checks are physically smaller, you know, dollar amounts. So that's sort of where those angels can actually have a big impact a 5k, a 10k, or even, you know, 25 or more, right? Like if you're only raising $800,000 or only, I mean, it's still a lot, but you know, if you're raising sort of a smaller pre-seed, then, you know, you may not even need a big check or, you know, something like that. And yeah, I, I like this comment from uh, Leslie Feinzeig here. She says, find new angel investors who understand angel investing a little bit better <laughs> yes. boom mic drop yeah yeah that's it yeah she said it much yeah. better than i did <laughs> yeah because i mean if you're following the logos which i get from like an outcome perspective like if you think there's a propensity to be more likely to be successful if you get name investors like that's an thesis and sure it's a bit agnostic to the company right um but i also kind of view it as just being an lp in that fund right like if that's what you care about then why do you just be an LP in that fund, or maybe it's just like minimums are too much, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't view it as like independent thinking. Right. And uh, I think for, for me, like the pre-seed stage, you know, that's what angel investing is about. You're just like, you come down, you ascend from the the sky and you drop some cash into the company at a point when they are re relatively zero evidence that they will be successful. Right. Um, I kind of view it as like the water in the oasis uh, kind <laughs> of thing. Right. And so, you know, no surprises that you don't get, you know, people coming in like, you know, tier one or what, I don't even know. Yeah. Like you guys said, tier one. Whatever. Well, I mean, especially to like seed or, you know, later round, like obviously if people are like, oh, you know, if A16Z is in and leading, then yeah, I'll join in. Like at that point, you know what I mean? I think the conviction, I think the word that keeps coming up in our interview with you, Andrew, that I really like is conviction. And I think that's a, a key uh, kind of adjective here in a lot of uh, the way that you're thinking about it. And I think uh, would be pretty helpful. So um, I see one more uh, spicy tweet here uh, that I think we have time to share and then we'll let you go if that sounds good. Yeah, it could be. All right. So this is from uh, Bruno. I know this guy. I had dinner with him before. Bruno Brazil Faviero. Um, he's Brazilian. And uh, I take it. No way. Uh, <laughs> I think he, you know, he definitely is. Uh, founders, <laughs> if your calendar doesn't look like this while fundraising Seed Plus, you're not getting the most out of it. At peak fundraise, I had 50 plus meetings in a week. Most in one day was 18. I recommend most founders to be full-time fundraising when doing it all out or not at all. And he shared a screenshot, which we'll throw on the YouTube video from April, 2022. And his calendar is basically just like all 30 minute meetings, flights to Chicago, flights to SF. And it's just like all fundraising uh, all the time. You know, he said he had 50 plus meetings in a week. The most he did in one day was uh, 18. So uh, you've raised uh, quite a bit. And so I kind of like that you've been on both sides uh, of the coin, Andrew, I'd love to get your take on this uh, tweet from Bruno. I couldn't agree more. I think mm -hmm. most of what I always say is fundraising as a founder is a full contact sport. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that you need to immerse yourself fully in. And I think it's it's just because you're a great fundraiser doesn't mean you're actually going to build a great product and a great company. So I think that there is a problem where these skill sets are a bit orthogonal. 
Um, but I do think you need to be good at fundraising to have uh, a good company because that's part of it. If you're if you're building a company that needs VC funding, and that's a topic for a whole other conversation, because you could also build great companies with just angels, friends, family money that's profitable, that grows, but you don't necessarily have to get VCs involved. But yeah, it, you know, when I went out and raised, I've raised for multiple companies companies now, um, I benefit a lot. So I did it the old school way, um, you know, flying, meeting people, um, you know, going and having three to four in persons a day. But now with the transformation to first meetings, a lot of the time being available on Zoom, when I raised my pre-seed here at Flexba, I multiple days had 12 to 15 uh, VC meetings in the same day. It's exhausting. You you sometimes forget that, you know, if you said something already on a pitch or not, because you're looking <laughs> at a screen again. Um, but it's a numbers game. And, you know, when people say no and you want to get that get, get that process over or else founders just get into forever fundraising mode. And that's no way to live as well, because then you just keep deluding yourself like, oh, I'm just going to I'll get the check. I'll get the check. And it's better to know where you stand so you can even make decisions. Do I have to cut some personnel to extend runway? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? And I think if you don't um, crunch it all in and really give it your all, um, you're doing you're not doing it right. And those founders are usually founders who then can't do founder-led sales, um, which is a huge problem as well. So usually when you when you see, there, it's hard to correlate. And I think you can make some bad investments in founders who are super great at fundraising because um, sometimes those companies can explode in, in, as a supernova. But if a founder isn't great at fundraising or one of the co-founders isn't great at fundraising, I think that could also be a red flag. Yeah, I think some uh, counter takes on this, you know, like one thing I always think of is, um, is that is, are you doing too big of a spray shot if you have this many calls? Like, you know, is like, are you really actually targeted? Because that's, that's something I, you know, my experience is that there is really only a small set of people as you get into later stage rounds specifically that are actually going to fund you, right? In a meaningful and be a lead, right? And then everyone else following on, you know, there's a long tail there. But that was just kind of my, you know, even Seed Plus, like there's a lot of, I think, um, a wide depth of people that can fund you there. But, you know, if you're specific to FinTech, SureTech, whatever it may be, like there's really not that many in some sense. It's pretty knowable. Um, so that was just my, yeah, my take I feel on. like in this funding environment too, where, you know, market has sort of taken a dump the past year. Uh, I've also been telling a lot of the founders that we work with is basically like 10 X your fundraising efforts, like literally try to take 10 times as many meetings as you would have a year ago. And I think like from the early results, you know, with companies that I thought were looking really good and went out to raise a seed and couldn't, and, you know, sort of like stories like that, that we're seeing and, you know, one struggling, I, I think, uh, that value, that advice seems to, you know, kind of ring true here so i uh i like the idea of doing a lot <laughs> i i to to kind of bring it together colin i agree with you i think as you proceed into later stages i think you'll you, there's just less people who are going to be there but i think packing early pre-seed and seed um is helpful because then when you go back to the folks at the yeah. series a or series b they you can even if they said no or pass you can be like hey we met before colin you mentioned this and that we're at, you know, 4 million ARR with this retention. These are our daily active users. Um, like, I'd love to chat with you. And so now you're not approaching them for the first time or even the second time. You've kept them up to date on your pre-seed and your seed. And so I'm a big fan of keeping in touch, not by doing coffees or whatnot, but by like, hey, like trying to raise consistently from the same people and then cutting down that number to, you know, the folks that make sense. What? Very One question cool. for you. Oh, yeah. And before we go, is like, what... um kind of coming off like you've been a multi-time founder now 
what was the biggest difference between the first time you raised for a company and now? Yeah, um, I think I literally saw de- de- like it as a sales process and DQing investors um, quick. So I actually would try to get to the nose quicker and sooner and try to not take it as personal. I think um, it, as a first time founder, I think I started every meeting I had, I dreamt of them investing and I thought of myself like, okay, this is going to work. And instead I was like, okay, out of everyone I talked to, almost everyone's going to say no. And once you go in with that in your mind, you change the way you pitch because you come in with some more confidence. And what I really thought was the people who say yes are the people who are going to believe in me and my business. So that's who I'm trying to find. I'm not trying to convince everyone to invest in my company. I'm trying to um, present my company and then find the right people to invest in it. And it was a mind shift. It sounds like it isn't a big, but it was massive for me because I wasn't selling my company to you. I was saying, this is what we do. And then I would ask questions to them and try to find the right fit. Yeah. I I think often, you you know, like you said, people view it as just strictly sales, like buy, buy the equity essentially. But in reality, like you're trying to present a case to people that are trying to find an investment return. Right. Like give them the blueprint for the, you know, however many X they need, right. To make this work. It's not about today. What is it? Um, It's about what's the evidence that there's a blueprint for massive venture scale returns such that they can't invest. And and to marry it all, maybe this is the final statement, like as a founder who also an angel invests, it makes your pitches as a founder much better because now I'm like, what would I need to hear? What, what, and then I then, back of the napkin kind of go back. Now I'm not, you don't run your company for investment returns or for investors. I think that's important, but it does make, it does, it does clarify on a pitch what I should talk about and how I do it and how crisp I am because I've heard others do it. Yeah. I think it's a a big advantage being able to see uh, both sides of the coin there. So Andrew, really appreciate all of the knowledge experience you shared around your angel investing, uh, being a founder, raising money. We even got uh, quite a bit of uh, good fundraising advice there at the end out of you. So appreciate that. And we'll leave a link to Flexpa, your Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever uh, people can follow you online in the show notes. And just want to say thanks again for coming on. Thank you both.